Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Betspurts. Welcome to The Deep Dive, Andy. We get to talk to Eric today, fired up. Uh, I, of course, joined uh, Eric and George on the PFF forecast yesterday. That was a great time. If you haven't already checked it out, go check their feed out. Uh, and now we get to uh, return the favor and have Eric on to uh, ask him some important questions. We get to continue our series of uh, kind of picking the brains of the smartest minds in the NFL betting space. So uh, happy to have you on. Welcome back to the Deep Dive. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great. Uh, it was fun to have you on uh, this week on the forecast. We have Andy next week, so we're, we're the this. I think like the graph is connected. I think the graph is fully connected. Um, I was I was sort if of. We don't have like some George group thing I, going by. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. We're just. Gonna, I mean, look. But I felt like I felt like George and I were too. We 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 were too in sync together that we couldn't have two other people who are totally in sync on at the same time. So we decided to to spread it out over two weeks. Um, but I, I'm really excited to get to hang out with you guys and uh, talk fall, talk football. Well, the uh, the series kind of have had a sort of theme so far, and we're going to kind of continue this. Like, obviously, if you want standalone previews or thoughts on any specific teams, then go find those podcasts uh, among all of our previews. Um, but in the first uh, in the first interview we did with Cleve, it was mostly just about like how do you start your process? What do you do to kind of ramp up for you know you know off season preparations? Uh, and then episode two, we really kind of zeroed in, dialed in with Suma on market dynamics and things that uh, you know basically like how do you interpret an NFL market? What matters? What doesn't? Blah blah blah. That was a very enlightful, you know, enlightened conversation. And we're going to kind of continue the theme with market a little bit on today's pod, but we're going to make it a little bit different. Uh, and what we're going to do is kind of break down market power numbers. I've gotten a ton of requests for this. We've done it over the years, just basically posting, well, this is what the current market power numbers say. Um, and, you know, in general, I would say that it's important to know this, even if you are kind of somewhat of a beginner, you know, you, you need to know uh, sort of what people are thinking broadly about um, the overall distance between teams, <laughs> if lack of a better word, the uh, the overall sort of relatives uh, ranking of teams. Uh, and uh, so what we're going to do here in the setup was um, the Superbook was kind enough to put lines up and totals up for every game of the NFL season except for, of course, Cleveland Browns games after week two. Um, but that's a, you know, I understand why they did that. Um, and we got took my brown those, shirt on. You got your brown shirt on. We took those uh, numbers uh, and basically decomposed them into the implied power numbers that, you know, the, the, the numbers that would result in those spreads and totals in the simplest form. Um, and, you know, for those reasons, we now kind of have a data set to look at and make some observations about the way that the market feels broadly um, about uh, some of these teams. So, uh, yeah, and before, we, we have yeah. referenced it a little. Like, uh, if you did listen to the NFC East podcast this week, you know, I, I can't remember if we'd done it Monday if you had, if you had those decomposed by that point. But, 
you've started to ask me, hey, here's what, you know, once I broke it down, here's what the market thinks of this team. There's already a couple we've had some fair disagreements with. Oh, sure. As far as I, I believe it was maybe the Giants offense was ranked incredibly low, which again, 27th. Yeah. If you, I guess you do have to weight one position pretty heavily. And I guess 27th isn't out of the realm of their possibilities, but we, we did disagree with that. And it is fun to see like, well, if you disagree with it and you think you're right, you should have some edges because the market is, it's not just, Hey, this is what the market's saying. It's what the market's offering you to bet on at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in a, in this, in the sweetest, shortest and sweetest way, uh, the market numbers, market power numbers, should be interpreted as effectively the average of everyone that's betting. Is that a fair way to kind of frame market power numbers, Eric? Well, everybody that that's betting that matters, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's, a good point. That's a good, that's probably like a, you know, and and we all fall into this. I don't think you guys do anymore, nor do you know, but I think a lot of people like, Oh, the betting public. And it's like, no, I think it's a few people that are really hammering these numbers into place. A few groups, um there's also like i'll be honest with you i think that the books are this time of year sort of especially in these markets like they're just they're they're airing out their you know their power rankings because there's not a ton to be gained we talked about this in the forecast there's not a ton to be gained by putting a ton of money down and nor can you in a lot of instances on you know week four week five week six game just because of you know, the, the uncertainty and, you know, just you're tying your money up and stuff like that. So I think week one is more of a, like a market reflection. I think later on in this, you know, later on, it's, it's kind of implied from some of the, um, you know, the win totals that we're seeing some of the, uh, you know, uh, Super Bowl odds that we're seeing that are, you know, reflections of the market's opinion. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the individual games are more of a derivative at this point than maybe, the uh that they are obviously are later in the season well let me ask you a quick question so during the season if you have an edge on uh a given side let's say you make a game four and uh you know it's two and a half or something like that like that's pretty that's a pretty big edge um do you try to dig in and understand if you know why you you know are you high on a team a or low on team b or some combination of both like do you kind of keep up with the market power numbers over the balance of the season in your own process i think so i think 100 if especially early in the season where you're looking in and, and you're really trying um you're really trying to uh you know come up with good numbers right like you want to have some numbers that are a little bit different than the market just so that you have something to bet um but if (laughs) if 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 you're getting drastically different numbers and you have to look into the reason why right you have to look into the reason i know you know for example like our old betting product pff Greenline. if our if our internal number was off by a certain percentage we almost always just like bailed on that game and like you know regressed to the market line because there was something we were missing and whether that was like injury feeds that were slow or, um, you know, weather data that was either corrupted in our data or uh, or slow, you know, like mostly it's slow, right? Like the uh, or injury, you know, COVID information that sharp betters had that were not reflected in our injury feeds and stuff like that. You know, I think it's when, you know, like you said, in, in football, if you have if you make a game two and a half and it's line four, uh, you're off by quite a bit. And, you 
um, you know, it, it's important to go by and look and see why. And and most of the time it's because, you know, the, the best case scenario is you can come up with the reason. And the reason is something that you would disagree with fundamentally with the market, in which case you make a bet. If it's something that you're leaving out, uh, you have to decide whether or not you're leaving that out for good reasons or for bad reasons. Okay. So Andy, I'll ask yeah. you a question about the market yeah, power ahead. numbers now. Are you ready? Yes. Do you think on in when we're done with our process, when we've gone through every team, when you've put together, you know, you've you've solidified your opinions and your your own power numbers for these teams, however they look, or you know, whatever form that may take, do you think in general your priors will be stronger than what we are gonna look at today, which is basically just sort of the bookmakers, you know, they're giving you opportunities to shape these. There's a little bit of price discovery in this. So we shouldn't necessarily take this as like oh man, this is really sharp stuff here. The market's unbeatable, right? Like, do you think at the end of our process, you'll have in general, on average, priors that are stronger than the priors reflected in these uh, power numbers? Like you said, I think so. And I think it's because of where we are in the market cycle. Like it is okay. again, July. Sure. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't have games in August. We, I, we'll have some preseason games, I guess. So it's six weeks before we have a game. Once we get to that week of, of game day and you see some and people say, oh, these numbers have been up for eight weeks and people have been, yeah, you're not getting $100,000 bets in July on, on some of these games. You know, there's going to be massive bets that come the, the week of the game, the day of the game, like we discussed with Suma. So uh, and just based on what I said to open the podcast. I said, hey, we had some major disagreements with what the market said already. That I mean, that kind of indicates right then and there. I don't I don't know if I'm sharper. I could be dead wrong, but I, I will say like my priors are definitely based on stuff that the market either isn't using or doesn't care to use. And then uh, yeah. to, to kind of touch also on Eric's point of keeping up with it throughout the season, like part of my process again is doing the a bit of a game grading. Some of it is stats and numbers, but like the subjectivity needs to be thrown in unless you're, you know, unless you can really write some scripts and start throwing out all kinds of things that are like, oh man, we should, should we use these last six drives in a game like this? You know, we've talked about with, if the win probability for a team dips below a certain level, like where do we start doing cutoffs? You know, we spoke off the air with Suma about some interesting parts of that, but once I've done game grades, evaluated games, and made any sort of adjustments to a team, if I see a non-adjustment to a team and one I've made by the market or a, a strong adjustment, a stronger adjustment in the same direction as me, usually there's it's worth going back and looking at it and determining things. But we Good also, point. you know, we also we also talked about that a little off the air. No, I mean it was on the air. We said, hey Andy, it's it's week six. They open a two and a half, you make it a three and a half. You know, you just blind betting that. And the answer was always and should always be no, because a lot of, you know, how, how does the market, you know, how does the market sentiment go up on a team? Did it go up for the right reasons? And are the reasons viable this week? Like, is it like, hey, guess what? This passing offense has just been well above where we were anchored over the summer of where it should be, where everybody's priors were. And it's fine to bump them up, but they probably face some advantageous situations, and now they're going up against a defense that I don't think they can do it. Like you're, you're fine being off market, but that's a spot where it's like I'm off market, but I'm not betting it because the, you know, maybe the subjective part of it, the matchup just sucks ass. Surely, surely. So, um, 
I'll give Eric then the first opportunity as we go around Robin and kind of comment on these power numbers. And uh, I've already tweeted out uh, the kind of the follow along you would need to um, to look at them for yourself. Uh, and again, this is just a minimized solution of what the Superbook would make for both offensive and defensive and overall power numbers um, to get the spreads and totals that they hung for every game, again, outside of the Cleveland game. So, uh, Eric, as our guest, uh, what was the first thing that stood out to you as you uh, kind of perused this data set? Uh, and uh, did you uh, kind of do a independent calc on your own to see if we came up with the same conclusions? Yeah, well, actually, what's really fun is I have the same order for the first six teams. So I go Buffalo, Tampa, Kansas City, Green Bay, L.A., San Francisco are my top six. Um, I'm actually within a few decimals on the, the size for Buffalo and Tampa. I'm a little lower, though, on the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. Like, I make the Chiefs more like five points better than the average team on a neutral, and and, and this makes the Chiefs – about six points better than the average team on a neutral. Um, I'm interested what you guys think, because I, I think that Kansas City and Green Bay are two teams. Like I, I like them at three and four, but I think that there's a lot more. I think that there's a lot more uncertainty with them coming into the season um, than, than, the, than this would suggest. Right. I mean, six points better than the average team on a neutral in the, coming into a season where there's a lot of changes. And I think some, most of them are long-term for the chiefs. Pretty good. Green Bay, same thing. Do you, do you think that the market's a little too heavy on these two teams that have granted been very good the last, obviously like four or five years, but um, are, are dealing with some significant alterations to their process? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how, you know, how heavy it, uh, the market, the market sentiment the group think of everybody who's informing it feels about like, should we take a big swing back because of Tyreek and Devonte Adams? Like, is it, is that a viable thing that happened? You know, teams lose top end receivers all the time. And so long as there's continuity, you know, I mean, it, it happens. I mean, it happened here in Minnesota. Diggs goes away and somebody always steps up. Now, usually you don't see, a rookie just kind of slide in magically and do what Jefferson Jefferson did, but people usually step up. So I th think there's probably some basis to not downgrading Kansas city and green Bay until you actually see like, Oh shit. Like the guy who stepped up, took a baby step forward and that's all we're going to get out of this, or it's just not going to work. But if you keep the continuity of the quarterback, the coaching staff, most of the offensive uh, you know, the rest of the offensive performers, especially the Lions, it is hard to just discount a team heavily on offense for one wide receiver. Uh, I, I get why they're there, but at the same time, I I did. Like, yeah, I guess sure. maybe, but does, does my process suck? Because the market says so, maybe. Well, I, no, I, I, think, I, have, uh... I have, I'm with Eric. I have the Chiefs a half step back from, at least for my offensive power rankings, not as a whole, but offensive power rankings like it is it is tampa and buffalo and then there's there's a gap yeah i i'm agreeing with you guys in spirit but the key difference is these guys had to hang a full season's worth of numbers and are giving you a basically an average whereas we are literally looking at this in terms of what am i going to be betting weeks one two three four right yeah. and it, and i think in a temporal sense the idea that Kansas City and Green Bay aren't as sharp, specifically offensively, out of the gate 
is a very reasonable expectation. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, but I think if you're going to hang an average number that reflects the overall strength of the team over the balance of 17 games, it's fine to err on the side of they will figure it out. Um, and, and, you know, I guess what we don't have at all in this, and it's, you know, we never will. Maybe, I mean, I guess you could get it actually, if you take, if you take power numbers, market power numbers week by week over the balance of a couple of seasons, you could probably back calculate this, but there are certainly bands around these teams. How quickly, what the velocity you're willing to adjust based on what the data that comes in. Right. And for sure, a team where you have total perfect continuity in Buffalo, the bands are going to be tight, super tight. And a team where you're changing major role players like Green Bay and and, uh, and Kansas City, the bands are going to be a little looser. Uh, and I think uh, realistically, that oper- that offers week to week opportunity to bet on and against teams like KC and Green Bay because people will overreact, underreact to what they see in a given week. You, the the biggest part of that is the hey we have to hang these lines on these teams, and you know there might be some big money eventually that informs the market that this is a thing but for the most part the money isn't going to be coming like fast and hard to fade teams that have been successful for years like you know the people aren't running like oh my god we have to bet against aaron Rodgers and patrick mahomes now these guys are going to be terrible like so so, so you find you find that find that stasis you find that spot where it's like all right here's where we predict we can put this number where we think it's fair because we don't think people are going to come running to bet against Aaron Rodgers, even after losing, you know, a, a star player on the team like this. Yeah, Cause okay. yeah, they are, so, they're in a different spot than us. Okay. So basically is it fair to, to then kind of say, Eric, your first two observations are directionally correct at the top and, uh, but relative, uh, you know, relatively the teams that had more turnover uh, are potentially being overrated. Yeah, and I think so. One other thing from the directionally correct part, because what I really what stood out to me when I looked at these numbers, I'm like, there's a there's more average teams than below average teams, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And interestingly, in my own metrics, there are 21 teams that have a power rating above zero, and so it's it's basically the same as what you guys have. Um, yeah. I find that really interesting. I'll talk about the bottom when I when I get asked again, but like. I, I think that this is I think that this is reasonable. Like I think that directionally that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's crazy. That one had, that one I had to I had to wrap my head around that for a while this morning. And again, it is a it isn't it's a sum of the parts. Like it the sum because the middle class of the NFL tends to align a little bit more on the positive side of zero, right? You know, in our in our case then you know below zero which is fine and, and because, you're a vikings fan the, you can see it just from being yeah. a vikings fan like her <laughs> cousins is like eight and one against the lions like that's all you need to hear like that's that's exactly like these shitty teams are getting beat up by the dolphins of the world right yeah and th- th- that's the thing too if you look at like maybe the that second tier of shit like that's sitting there. And again, a lot of team, a lot of people are really keen on a bunch of those teams. There's, there's people that have high hopes for the lions, the Jags, the giants, the bears, but that, that second tier of this, not the Falcons and uh, Houston, you know, that's, 
that's dragging it down because uh, the second tier of like teams we rank highly tends to float a little closer towards the middle. Yeah, and it is kind I, of hysterical. I'm fine with that. It's hysterical to me the gap though that exists between Cleveland and Washington, or really just uh, just in general that grouping of around league average to clearly below league average, right? Like there's no one for whatever reason, and this could be this year specifically. It could be this group of teams, and not you know, and it's just it is what it is. But um, yeah, there's a huge middle class that are a little bit better than average, and then a decent size lower class that basically a fat bottom that's uh, balancing out sort of the average power number from uh from top to bottom here so yeah because it's crazy you have an average power rating across these 32 teams that's zero but 21 are above zero and uh 11 are below and that's, that's i mean that's and again if, if you if you pose that quite take take the nfl teams out of it Take not a normal distribution. <laughs> no, but yeah, if, if you posed that question to like an eighth grader in math and said like, hey, I have 32 numbers, they average to zero, but 21 of them are above zero. Tell me something about this group of data. And they would say like, well, there's there's a, a bunch of the negative numbers are big compared to, you know, so a lot of the positive numbers are maybe ones and twos and threes or something like that. Especially if you gave them the range and you said, hey, it was plus plus nine and negative nine were your biggest numbers each way. Like, I think they'd s- sort it out pretty quick to what's happening. And I don't know. Have, have you done this? Uh, every time I've asked you, it's like, hey, Drew, did you do this going back five years? I know you've made this chart. Yeah, yeah, for years, sure. But was oh, it yeah. was there some consistency to this? Or that, It wouldn't almost, surprise me okay, if, we so, saw, if we saw it the other way, too, if you had a, a bunch of teams that were just here's below a, zero. Here's, here's my two cents. This is the most... Um, disjointed distribution here where you have, you know, this is the most, we've said this so, too many times now on our podcasting history, but this is the most bimodal distribution of power numbers we've seen in a while where you have good and middle class versus bad, bad. Um, but, uh, but this is actually pretty common in terms of season starting. And I don't know, it may just be sort of a, a reflection of people's mindset coming into a season where the middle, like, you look add up all the win totals it's more than the wins right like there's optimism there's optimism about every all of these teams that are hovering around zero that pushes them a little bit above one you know versus uh you know the teams that everybody agrees no they are bad they do you know they are they deserve to be at the bottom um and so maybe there's a that's informing this a bit but this is more stratified than i can remember in a while and it is over the balance of the season, if you look at power numbers at any given, you know, grab week 11 from Inpredict or grab whatever from when, it, you know, what it, whoever's doing it, um, you're going to see a lot more normal distribution. So basically, I think this evolves to something that's more normally distributed as we get deeper into the season and, you know, some of these teams sort each other out. It may be injury related. Right. Like that big old gap of not any kind of bad teams might be some teams that we know at full strength are good, but they're missing some key pieces. So they fall into that range. Right. Like it, it tends to work uh, itself out. It's also uh, worse, it's worse the, teams. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Eric. I think it's like also just like the central limit theorem. Right. Which is the more vote, like the more independent people that vote on teams, which is all that betting is. Um, the uh, you know like i think like right now what we have is what we talked about at the very beginning which is like a very 
a very weak signal after like what weeks two, three, two or three. Um, sure. so, so the market might just, and like the market might just say, and we listened to what well, the circles off with the, the guy, the guy from Circa, uh, Beck Chris was basically like, I just slap a number on some of these games, you know, like they're, whereas over time, um, these numbers are probably more, they, they converge to something more mathematical over time. Whereas right now, I think there, there could be a lot of instances where these are power numbers, but kind of also just, Hey, if I make a game two and a half, I don't really want any action on it. Maybe I'll just make a game three instead <laughs> or something like that. I, like that's, that's kind of where you're going to get the clustering of, you know, like, like you look at these bad teams on this list, right. And the, you go from the giants to the Detroit lions, all those teams are between negative three and negative four points on a neutral field. That's <laughs> just playing an average team and being plus three, right? Like yeah, you know, right. that's, that's and, a good point too, because you know, the, the guys putting these numbers up, especially the people like, Oh, I have to set a line for a game in week 12. And again, if, if they take their power numbers, they take the situation, they run it through their, whatever they're doing and saying, here's what I would make it. And just like Eric said, it's a minus two and a half, but it's the Cowboys facing a team that maybe isn't as popular in the market on average. We're like, you know what? That's a three now. And there's there's some shading just because it's a soft number four months from now that isn't going to take a lot of action. They're fine doing that. So that's probably skewing a little bit what Drew did here, which is fine because it's not big skewing. And the other part, I, too, is like I think you both will agree that there will be some injuries during the course of the season. In fact, probably hundreds of them and the, and a good team is more affected by an injury than a bad team. Yes. Like the, the, yep. uh, the, the same good injury point. on a good team is going to be a bigger Delta from, you know, that position player to his backup than on a bad team. Like you, you lose the same guy on a bad team and uh, it's like, well, he was bad already. He was, he was replacement is, level. Yeah. yeah right. He was yeah. replacement level. He's getting replaced with replacement level. It's almost, it's probably a, <laughs> yeah. a non-move. Whereas hey, maybe you don't have perfect depth everywhere. And if you have to go to a replacement level player on a good team, it means that player was more likely to be a good player and it actually will make a difference. So injuries affect teams differently. And that's where I think you'll see the 21 to 11 start to even out as injuries veritably will they will happen. I'm, I'm going to guarantee that's the only guarantee I'll make all season. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and the, and the composition there is, is, is what you're saying. Like there's not that far for the Falcons or the Texans to go, but there's a, there's really far for that. Like clump of that clump of middle teams that everybody has optimism on, as you're saying, Andy is like, you know, you know, the Bengals or the Colts or the, or the Vikings or the Dolphins get hurt. There's that really like big chasm on the screen right now. That's what they're filling. Right. And so, um, and, and right now, none of those teams have that pessimism associated with them. Very, very true. Um, one other thing about the distribution of these teams that I want to point out is the disparity between the conferences is reflected directly in this. Um, so I was kind of assuming that there might be some kind of hidden edge overall if, because I felt like there were there are not enough games between NFC and AFC to really create the um, the gap between the two conferences that I think is real, but this is a huge 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 uh, you know shift here in the distributions between AFC and NFC where out of the eleven teams that are below average seven of them exist in the NFC 
only four of them in the AFC. Uh, and it's not as big of a difference at the top end. At the top end, it's pretty balanced. So basically, like, if you're thinking, well, who are the true contenders? And you throw out, well, uh, Buffalo, Kansas City, uh, I guess, you know, and, and pick pick one other team that you think can jump up and join them. And then you, on the NFC side, well, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Rams. You know, I mean, you know, so there's not a huge um, difference at the top between the two conferences, but at the bottom and the middle, it's massive. So... Um, in general, uh, is that your same conclusion, Eric, that we do have this disparity between conferences right now? Yeah, and, and weirdly, I actually – and my my power numbers, like I have some priority. I do some prior stuff with, you know, market, you know, not only – not win totals, but market likelihood of winning the Super Bowl and then, you know, things like that. So, like, my four lowest power-rated teams are all actually NFC teams – um, I go, you know, I go Giants, Jets, Detroit, Jacksonville, Houston, and then I go Seattle, Chicago, Atlanta, Carolina. I also have something in my power ratings where I'm where I allow I, I have I call it a tanking variable where I basically put in there like the likelihood I you know, we talked about this yesterday on, on our show, Drew, like I put in there the likelihood that the team is just going to give up. Um and so when I look at Chicago, Atlanta, Carolina, even in Carolina, I know they got Mayfield, but I put a significant likelihood on, you know, Matt Rule gets fired like five weeks into the season and this thing's a joke, you know, halfway um, through uh, Seattle similarly. So I I have it even draft. I, I have four NFC teams that I make more than five points worse than the average team on a neutral. So I'm even further down the list there. Like <laughs> wow, I don't. Nice. I don't want to be like, and this is through like my experience betting. I don't want to be on a team like the 2021 Jets the first five weeks. Of the year. <laughs> like, I just, I, 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 you know, and yeah. and if I miss if I miss out on a team like the the you know the 2017 Jags or the 2021 Bengals, so be it. In my from what I can tell, there are far more teams that were like, oh, the number like that team's not that bad. And like every sharp better is on the Jets and that team just gets absolutely annihilated for the first six weeks of the year. And like <laughs> I I ha- I've put safeguards into my my numbers to make sure that never happens. Yeah, the, there is a bit of like just like we talked about the you know unbalanced nature of how injuries affect teams, like teams with high levels of uncertainty <clears throat> more often underperform, it does feel like. Like it's easier for a bunch of different factors to all be correct or worse in the market than all like you need so many uncertain things to be, Oh, the market was wrong to the negative on like the quarterback, the defense, the coaching, like for all of that to just, and, and you hit on a, you magically hit on a rookie, you magically hit on a couple defensive pieces. And then you also have like third down and turnover luck. Like so many things have to go right for one of those teams, like you're talking about the jets, because there was some, there was a little bit of optimism about it. Even if it was just like, Hey, they suck, but they shouldn't be dogs by this much. Should they? And when everything turns out to be, you don't even need things to go wrong. In that case, you need the market to be almost exactly right for most of it. And it's just uh, the very, you know, the very varying nature of how NFL scores work. It's like, well, they played good teams, nothing, actually positive came of uh you know the quarterback situation the new coaching situation the defensive backs 
probably that. I mean, those guys got hurt in the preseason and whatnot, but it seems like there is a lot more of those teams. And you don't remember that though. Everyone's going to remember the Bengals. Everyone's going to remember the, you know, the greatest show on turf. Like that team wasn't supposed to win many games, but like who is talking about, uh, we are, but who's talking about the Ravens who had like a win total of what, 11, 11 and a half last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, it wasn't like they were drafting third. They won eight games, right? I mean, that, that's a that's a good chunk lower than what they were supposed to play. And again, the way injuries affected them, the Seahawks, probably another example that wasn't as, I, I think their win total was around 10 last year. They were seven and 10, I believe. And again, that was... Mm-hmm. All injury based, but but even people people, even, people love to remember the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, but and we forget like it's not even that like we don't forget that the Jets were horrid. We forget that everybody was on the Jets for the first six weeks of the year, right? Like that. That I think we we like you had. That's why and and I know you guys do this, and I know it's important. And and we talk about this, you know, on every like that's why it's good to like you know betting helps you remember these things, right? That's why it's good to you know, to, to bet into the markets if you have an edge, because otherwise you don't learn the scars of this, but I'll even take like, let's, I mean, even if we take a, let's take a situation here um, with like, let's look at San Francisco, Chicago, right? So, you know, Chicago's minus 3.7 on a neutral San Francisco's 3.8, right? You take those, you, you carry the two that's seven and a half, right? On a neutral, you make a home field advantage for Chicago of 1.6. That puts you at like 5.9. Given what an NFL six is worth, you know, if you look at opening day, RP, like that would, to me, my, the way that I'm trying to prevent some of these things is I think that there's, there's way more value in me. Cause we all know that the bears, like the bears, whatever the bears are, we don't know what that is. I think that that's the best way I can say, say it about the bears. Do, does somebody do we really want to take a stand and and take the I believe it's six right uh, six and a half opening day do we really want to take six and a half opening day with Chicago or do we want to wait and see like I, I think it's maybe better to make a power number that tells you to wait and see on a team like Chicago got it got it got it Fine, yeah finding out that Chicago's you know nothing has changed and possibly it's even gotten worse on the offensive side or just, they don't have a plan yet. Finding out by getting poor isn't any fun. I'd much <laughs> rather just like sit, sitting those out is perfectly fine. I don't know. And I, I think maybe that's, there are people I feel like they just bet because they, they want to be the guy that was right on that team, which is yeah. such a, such so a you're good saying, way to lose money. So you're saying that, that you can classify a team in a way where you're like, I'm going to bias my median low and I'm going to leave my bands uh, a little loose to the upside, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. so like a traditional, like what I do is I'll try. In addition, to, you know, the grades and stuff, I regress a little bit to the market number. I regress a little bit to the to the true mean. If like you have a coaching change or you have a quarterback change, and then I regress to the to a certain like replacement level. If you um, if you are if like I have, and I have different levels, anywhere from zero to one. So like last season, you know, you, you, I, the Houston Texans, I classified as a true rebuild, the Detroit lions, I classified. So I was never on Detroit and like that. Okay. So they go 11 and six against the spread. They didn't quite do that early in the season, which is good. Um, but like I was off Detroit early in the season, just because I'm like, I don't know how much this team wants to win. 
But then once you get enough data, your priors are washed away relatively quickly. So it sure. just helps not getting buried in the beginning of the year, betting teams like, you know, and, and again, you do miss opportunities. You missed the Houston versus Jacksonville last year. You miss the, you know, you miss, you miss some aspects of it, but I think that you do better maybe than you otherwise would than just saying, Oh, my, num my numbers like the jets. And it's like, well, you like, like Andy said, like, for a team to be terrible, not that many bad things have to happen. For a team to be better than expected, a lot of good things have to happen. And so that we, is we, I, yeah, I we talked like, about the stickers, Drew. Yeah, like, sure. Leaving sure. leave the sticker light, like exactly like you said with the bands, there are plenty of teams where I'm willing to be quicker to upgrade them because I believe, like, hey, their upside is there. And you know, if there's like eight teams that have that big upside bounce, we've already talked about a few. I'm like the Lions, if uh, if everything works out on offense and the secondary is bad, the Bears. We talked about the the Giants. We talked about a couple other ones, the Vikings, like that have decent upside to them, mostly based on if the offense plays better than it did last year, because we think there's a chance. Like those teams, and I'm thinking there's probably like ten of them in the league. And there's probably going to only be two that I move up based on what we see on the field over the first couple of weeks. But all those, like we said, they have the loose stickers. Like I'm willing to pull that off and bump it up the board a little quicker because we know the path, the upside is there. We're just not convinced until we see it because it, there's so many uncertainties that you, you don't want to overreact and do something stupid that makes you make some really bad bets. Week two is goddamn minefield already. Like yeah, week, week two is... I usually don't react because I love overreaction week, week two, and starting to see where other people just as far as the sentiment goes have started to overact on some of those teams. But yeah, the, the loose band thing definitely, definitely jives with some of these teams. Well, Andy, uh, I'll throw the, uh, keep, keep the uh, mic ball in your court here. Uh, anything you, that really stood out to you first, uh, first glance here. Well, like, like I'd said when we we kind of talked about them, we didn't do the AFC West yet. I don't know what we were talking about when it came to the Chiefs. Maybe it was our opening NFL pod. But like Eric said, I have the Chiefs slightly lower, and I made their band pretty loose to the low end too, where I, I said, like, I'm willing to downgrade the Chiefs if things aren't going well. I'm, and I'm willing to they're, – they're probably the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, it's, it's one of those where – on like let's say the Jets say hey it's a young quarterback unknown coach a lot of unknowns there's a lot of shit there that we think might be shitty it's the opposite with the hey we have a great quarterback a great coach a good nucleus there's a lot of things that are great and they but they all have to stay great for in order for me to even just keep them static in their power numbers and if things aren't looking great right away I'm willing to let the market continue to bet on a team that they've seen look great for a couple of years and downgrade them a little quicker, especially early on in the season for a, an experienced playoff team like them, where they know, hey, guess what? Like, we don't have to win 17 games. Like we we have some things to work out. Uh, how many years in a row did we see that with Belichick, where he just treated like the first four weeks like a preseason extension, where they would just sit and figure things out, and then at that point, if you see it start to come back, you bounce up. So, like probably the Chiefs, and then. Uh, the Ravens, I have a loose band every which way because, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like the Cowboys last year. We ha we're going to have a really hard time evaluating a team 
that had such you know catastrophic and noticeable injury luck last year. So I have I actually have the Ravens a little lower on offense because I, I didn't know how repeatable the, the Lamar stuff was. I loved him. That was a great season, but it seems like that stuff is more conducive to defensive coordinators adjusting for and being able to control if a, if a player is a little more one-dimensional under center. So I have the Ravens a little lower on offense, and like I, I know that they're not terribly high, but I can, you know, my range of outcomes for them is definitely right on that, you know, right on that Y axis. Mm. Eric, how are you treating the Ravens? Yeah, I, I make the Ravens like 12th or 13th. And like, I know that that's different Ooh. than my personal opinion. Like, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. certainly think that, um, you know, I make Lamar Jackson like 6.5 points better than the, than the replacement quarterback on a neutral, but it's hard for like, there's, there's a lot of projection with that team is the offensive line better. Does right. The last season, their four, their cap hits, their four top cap hits this year are Ronnie Stanley, Lamar Jackson, Marcus Peters, and, and uh, Marlon Humphrey, all, all guys that missed a ton of time last year. So those are their most important players. And there's question marks about them. Do we know that Lamar Jackson, I think I know that Lamar Jackson is over COVID. I know that there are people in the league that believe he had long COVID and that was a, a huge problem with him being able to stay healthy uh, down the stretch in 2020, but also early in last season. He also wasn't good last year uh, by his standards, throwing the football and, you know, the games they won to go to eight and three, a lot of those games, they kept the score in the teens. Um, you know, he had high profile come from behind wins at home against the, the Colts and the Chiefs who are good teams, but you know, he, he really struggled as a passer. And, and you look at, you know, I, again, like, I think that the chip data can show you that, like, he has an effect on defenses that's unlike any other quarterback. But that effect has gotten smaller over time as they've had more difficulty building a team around him. Um, all those things, I, you know, I'm bullish on, like, I don't know if you were going to find me, even if my numbers suggest it, betting, like, I'm not taking it with the Jets in the week one, but I think that if the if the Ravens struggled more than we all expect, I wouldn't be surprised. That that's kind of where I am on them. And you know, I put them kind of right above Tennessee, right above Cleveland, right above Arizona, um, but below teams like you know, right they're right below Philly, Indianapolis, Denver, Cincinnati for me. I like it. They're yeah, they're um, they're probably the team that I have the widest distribution on. Mm -hmm. of the teams that we know a lot about, like we know what they've done and just like, Oh, if they get healthy, here's what they are. But I still have a, a pretty wide. Cause I'm like you said in my brain, I'm kind of bullish on this team because I think they have a smart coaching staff. They have a lot of talent. Things can go right, but they can also, you know, this off offense can just stop working like it has in the past. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, this is a very average team in kind of a tough division. Let me ask you a specific question then to give me a percent. Lamar Jackson plays all 17 games. The percent that the Ravens miss the playoffs is what, Andy? 30%. Eric? Yeah, that's that's about where I am, which I think make which I think given the market numbers indicates that he has a fairly high 
probability of missing a game or two or more. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, right, right. I was gonna right. say if you give me if you give me the seventeen games, like it's gonna be higher than what you could bet into right now, even in a tough AFC. Uh, injuries are the are the worst, and through through the first couple of years, he was so good at avoiding contact. I felt like it was a skill, part of his skill package, avoiding injuries. And then last year, just blew that up into smithereens. But uh, the whole team was so injured; it was tough to really dissect it uh, last year. Um, now I, I agree with all this uh, in general. Uh, a couple other observations. Did you have that a surprise team? Quick ones. Poof. Did you Me? have teams that you disagreed with? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the among teams that are in the top, I think Dallas 2.6 points better than average is laughable. Um, I think uh, that whole that cluster of uh, uh, Arizona being better than average uh, is and you know Tennessee being better than average. Like if 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 I were to flag a couple of teams that are going to fall out of the top and kind of fill that gap right now, it's Dallas, it's Arizona, it's Tennessee. Uh, and then, you know, I, I would not touch uh, kind of the, any of the rest of that middle class, I think all looks about right. I think Philadelphia has opportunity to move up. Um, and then, uh, you know, the stuff at the top, I think, is in, is in pretty good shape. I think uh, Vegas, Jaguars. Vegas, what's your, I have Vegas a little low, or I have Vegas a higher than apparently the market at this point. I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. Both I'm, almost, I'm almost exactly there for them. But, boy, is that a tough team to to truly project uh i guess I just, that one's a fun I just, one i have a higher band to the upside on that team as well that one's a fun one for me to kind of pivot to a different point that i wanted to ask you guys about and that's that there's not a lot of teams that you have this huge separation between the offense and the defensive rating like there's like a little bit of like it feels like casey's defense ranked eighth is a little that's chained to the team being good and yeah, then you know their power number the being high yeah, but in reality, I think an eighth-rate defense for KC, they would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I well, think they would, they would love that. I, I uh, think that that's like yeah. a product of – I think that's very much a product of the the way in which, like, that matrix vector equation is constructed, right? Yeah, like right, I, right, yeah. I, I think that it's so, – so take, take, for example, the Buffalo-Kansas City game, right, in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. That game had a total, I believe, of 54. Four. I don't want to be a Simon Hunter here and get it off by like six points. But it, was like, <laughs> it, was a low, it was a low 50 total. And dead ass if, if Gabriel Davis doesn't make Mike Hughes fall down on fourth and 13, that game goes under the total. Yeah, it's true. You true. know what I'm saying? And there's a number of games like there's a number of games like that with the Chiefs, like teams like the Chiefs, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, like there are the games where, like, I remember Tampa, Atlanta in week two, that just flies over the total because Tampa kind of cools off on defense in the middle of the game, and then, you know, they let them back in. But for the most part, like, those games kind of, you know, those there's enough games where a team like Kansas City beats the opposition into submission with their offense, and uh, uh, the other team's offense presses, and then so stuff like interceptions and sacks and silly yeah. stuff that happen at higher rates when you're behind – all happen where that team fundamentally is not that good defensively, but in a rating system like this, you end up with that being the case. Um, and I think that that's a, that's where I see Kansas city um, coming up here uh, because it is strange, but I think it's, I think it's because of those like sort of instances in the data where you see, 
you know, games can't lie, be lined 60, right? Um, and that's the other one. Games can't be lined 60. Kansas City's average game is like a, a point harder than the average team on a neutral field. And so when they face the LA Chargers, that game's lined 52. And it's really a coin flip whose defense gets more lucky than the other defense. And so then you, you sort of throw some, some hot water on both teams' defenses incrementally. But Kansas City yeah. has so many of those games this year. That, that it's also, I think, piling on, again, like the fact that you can't just like hang a 63 uh, in the offseason as a total. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and truthfully, yeah. too, it, it does come down to like how the – maybe how big these spreads are based on just their overall power ranking. And it's, it's, it's going to sound like the shitty cliches you hear from like the announcers when they're talking about a game. Like, oh, man, if they, you know, this offense can take a lot of pressure off the defense if they can punch this one in. But like it, it does change how other teams, you know, based on where the team's win percentage is. Not that most teams are looking at it, but like coach, we're we're at thirty-two right now. We got to change things up. But they yeah. they have a general feel for what their win percentage is, and the offense is going to have to play quite a bit differently. And the defense looks a lot better if it's getting fourth down stops and turnovers in that nature because it has to. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it does kind of tie in just the general overall ranking. I would think. Okay, so I'll save some of my positional rankings for the end. I think in general the defense rankings are nonsense. The offense looks pretty sound to me, um, but the uh, the two kind of yeah, I didn't major touch the defense stuff. two major trends. Yeah, the two major trends that I thought were interesting here. Number one, the average total has gone down uh, relative to the last couple of seasons, and number two, uh, home field advantage has gone back up. Uh, we're looking at an average total of forty six point six, so that's twenty three point three points per team per game uh and the average home field advantage is now 1.8 um did the, those the total trends drew. check out when you compared the totals did you compare the totals from this time last year to this time this year or did yes. you compare it to what they actually were at the end of the year both what what and that's the question is um your totals from last year this time compared to what they actually were for the season Higher. what was the difference you had to make an in, you had to make an inference, right? Like we at PFF, like if we we had to rig the game so that we we made the league level environment 2018 because we like 19 yeah. had quarterback injuries, 20 had COVID. Yeah, like we were off market a decent amount until we made the assumption that the, the league wide scoring environment was 2018. I think that served us okay. It was still actually a little bit too high. Yeah. No. I I think that's realistic. And yeah, this time last year, I think we were looking at more like 47 and change per game. So uh, high 23s per team um, in terms of the look aheads. And then, yeah, over, you know, when, when we were, yes, the 2020 season without fans and last year to a large degree, home field advantage has bounced around like a pinball, um, depending on when you're, gra you know, what, what information you're grabbing and when you're looking at it. Where, where are you right now, Erica, with points? I mean, it's silly to be talking to smart people and still be talking about home field advantages worth blank points because it's really much more about how much the win probability changes. And, you know, you could presumably have no points if the win, you know, if you're on or, you know, if you're going from below the low side of a key number to the high side. Um, but in general, this reflects about an 8% swing in win probability for the home team. Uh, does that check out to you as far as a decent operating assumption going into this season? I think it's a little high, but there's you have to work off of the assumption. Like, 
I mean, this is so noisy and it, it's part of the art and the, the art of the whole thing where 2019, you almost had no home field advantage for no reason. And then 2020, you had you had road teams were more effective offensively slightly than, than home teams. And that was also part of the, the whole total as well. And then you had, um, you know, last season where you creeped up a little bit. It's to your point. I mean, you, somebody look, you know, when you look at the, these numbers, like one of that that I really like to look at is, you know, you look at Kansas City, it says 1.5 points of home field advantage. Like I think most people believe that Kansas City has great home field advantage. But when you model these things, you have to take into consideration where the home field advantage comes. The Chiefs play in a division where the other three teams have to lose two hours of time zone when they come play a noon game in Kansas City. So if your modeling has that in there, then you're actually going to have the true home field advantage for a team like Kansas City to be lower. Conversely, Seattle, teams never lose time zones. Like they, they, they only gain hours when they go to Seattle. Now, the travel is a thing, of course. But they only gain hours when they go to Seattle. So their true home field advantage, given that, is actually a little bit bigger because it, it, it's you, you can't put it on other things. So th- that's just even to like point out that home field advantage is just this really like amorphous thing. And I think you just have to be, as you said, Drew, I think you have to model it better than having just like points. You have to do win probability, but then you also have to you know, ask yourself, where is the home field advantage coming from? And are those things evolving over time? Travel. We, we've had, we've had long um, conversations about how teams have yeah. just like maybe outside of like fourth down punt situations, kick situations, like the biggest jump forward in analytics is probably like teaching people how to travel and sleep better. Like, hey, your body is the only thing keeping your football career going. We need to get you, you know, we can't be taking this flight. We can't be doing this. We need to travel the right way, the right times and make, you know, minimize the effects of it. Plus, you know, how uh, everybody was taking a goddamn bus 40 years ago anyway. So <laughs> things are yeah. quite a bit different now. But it's one, one, yeah, 1.8 though. Yeah. Does that check out to you, Andy? I just I will always trust the market on that. I'm fine. I don't, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay, fine okay. not not trying okay. to outsmart the market on home field. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. I think you you can account for at least sixty percent of it based on situational factors. The ref bias is the one that's a little bit of a wild card, and that makes up the balance of the eight percent. That is, you just have to kind of live with it. Um, a lot of variance in the refs too. So. That one's tough. Yeah. But it, it did. Once fans came back, that did bounce back a little. So it did. Oh. It did. It did indeed. Okay. This was, well, this is um, good. Yeah, for sure. Final. It got, a lot, final... it got me thinking about a lot of things. Like, I have a lot of notes in a Google Doc here. It's like I should check this out. Yeah. Final. I guess final question for Eric Is this even the right way to kind of go about trying to come up with, <laughs> with the appropriate distance between teams? Uh, you know, or is this too simple? Uh, and you know, can you glean an edge just by making something more sophisticated than power numbers? Uh, I mean, bottoms up approaches, as we know at PFF, we're trying to we're building a simulation right now with all of our data. And I got to tell you, it's hard. And I, I have a lot of respect for the people that have, have done it before. I think the top down approach gets you a certain way there. Um, but for a lot of reasons, you do want to have a bottoms up approach. It takes a. It takes as as any model will tell you. It takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of iteration. And it takes a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. And to your point, like 
I think Rufus said this on Bet the Process. It's like when you have an edge, somebody wants to say, well, why do you have an edge? It's like, well, it's probably the accumulation of a bunch of small things that I think are wrong about the market than it is this one big thing. And that isn't settling for a lot of people. And it's not settling for people who want to fire off a bet confidently uh, and wager a significant amount of money. And the other thing that's hard is non-stationary is a factor. So I, I, I think this is a really good way of like putting something down. And then if you have another way, whether that be like an ELO model or you make your power ratings, you know, you know, I know the folks that'll take the player level grades and push them up and have a, and have a power rating that way. I think it's, I think my biggest like call as a data scientist for folks who are who are trying to make numbers is ensemble. Have two different or have multiple different ways of trying to of, of building numbers and then you know let them vote. And and over time you let them vote based upon, you know, after you weigh them out, who had you know, you you know, sort of have like a regression model or something like what what weights uh, optimize my ability to be able to predict these games. Well said. Uh, I think that's a good lesson. And if you need to rewind that a couple times to digest it all, I would recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think anyone interested in modeling side of football uh, should take that to heart. Um, Andy, final thoughts? Yeah, full agree. Relying on one thing will bring you nothing but heartache. Like take, take a look at it. Start top down and then start looking at different ways to go bottom up simply and see where you end up at, and then start asking more questions. That's yeah. probably a good way to approach any sport. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, with that, we'll uh, could go for another couple hours on this easily, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll 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 close the book here uh, again. If you um, you know you, the tweet is out there with the power numbers. If you have strong disagreements, if you notice anything specific that you want to point it out, by all means, uh, get involved in the thread. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll chirp our responses that's what twitter's for and uh if you're looking for dr eric eager on twitter you can find him at pff underscore eric uh, and he is always one to engage with the people so definitely uh, hit him up over there so uh with that eric best of luck this season appreciate your time and uh you know i think uh i think this was a another tremendous friday episode good job andy yeah fridays it's definitely friday today loving friday oh, have <laughs> loving a good fridays. friday eric Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. See ya. Love it, man. Broncos number two defense. What's that? Oh, just excited that it's the weekend now. Broncos number two, though. I mean, come on, defense. That that's that's got to be a mistake, right? Somebody flubbed some number there. Again, someone.